0: Good evening. It's good to see you all here tonight. We're in John chapter 14. So if you have a copy of the scriptures, turn there. And as you're turning, I'm going to pause and take a moment and pray. Lord, it's an amazing thing that we are able to sit here and read the words that you spoke. And it's... Our desire that tonight those words would have an impact on our lives, that they would accomplish what you desire for them to accomplish within us. When you spoke these things, Father, you meant for them to affect those who heard them. And so as we hear them again, Lord, may we be postured in a way to receive all that you have for us, may we be open and attentive and allow you to have a voice in our lives. Bless our time, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. I want to remind you as we go through these things, this is uh, open And I appreciate questions and dialogue. So if something stands out to you and say, hey, that ain't right, or I don't get it, please speak up and we can have that kind of interaction. I I find that some of the best times, at least in my mind, have been through those times of interaction and question. And so in review... The Last Supper has just taken place. Jesus has told his 12, the closest to him, that one of them was going to betray him as he was sitting there eating. And we know that it's Judas, and Judas has now gone up to go and do what he must do quickly. Everyone didn't know that, but we have the insight now. We know what's going on behind the scenes, and so as this is starting to play out, He has just told those people who were following him that he is going to be betrayed and handed over to the Romans to be crucified. So these men, some of them probably in their teens still, have been following Jesus over the last three years, giving their lives completely to this rabbi. And now he tells them that he's going to be turned over And to die. And so it probably changed the mood a little bit, that supper, right? It's like it started off really happy, and this is a downer, Jesus. You you just bummed us out with this news. And no doubt the countenance of that evening has fallen, and that there is a lot of question, that there is a lot of worry, there's a lot of wondering what is going to happen not only to Jesus, but what about us? We've given up all these things to come and follow you and now you're going to be leaving. And that's where we pick up in John chapter 15 or 14. we're going to read a few verses, talk about them, and then read some more. Verse 1, he says, Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so... Would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. So how can we know the way? I love Thomas. Because everyone was thinking that, but only Thomas said that. Have you ever found that sometimes in Scripture? Someone will read something and it's like, oh, that's the Bible, so I I guess I should just believe it, but I don't know what that means. If if you do find yourself in that, you're not alone. Thomas was there, and I think we've been there a lot, many times. Jesus answered, verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. Very truly, I tell you, Whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing and they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the father and I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the father may be glorified in the son. You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. Powerful words and words that are very comforting or meant to be, especially for Jesus' followers, the disciples at that time, who are listening, and he they've just gotten this bad news. And, and Jesus starts with, don't let your hearts be troubled. And then he goes from this, how do we not let our hearts be troubled? He says, you believe in God, believe also in me. And this is supposed to bring us uh, comfort. This is supposed to take away our troubled hearts, believing not only in God, but believing in Jesus. Now, how could believing in Jesus, as you would believe in God, help your troubled heart? Any thoughts? Why would he say, You believe in God, believe also in me, and this be connected to, Don't be worried, don't be troubled? He had a plan. (laughs) You know, when when my kids were smaller and they would be afraid, they would hear something at night or it would be dark. And they would call us to come in there. And we'd go in there and we'd say, hey, you know, it's okay. You guys are going to be okay. Let's pray. You'll be fine. You know, the Lord is with you. At that time, telling them the Lord is with you is not the same as mom or dad being with you. Okay, I'm glad the Lord is with me, but I need someone with skin, right? I I need someone who I can touch because I'm needing something. And so you believe in God, believe also in me. Now there is a tangible manifestation, if you will, or a reality of who God is. And not only is it tangible, but it is revelatory. It is revealing who God is and so now Jesus has poured his life into them he has loved them he has cared for them and he tells them you believe in God you can believe in me which is telling them that God loves us the way you have loved us because God can be so distant at times Can't he? Doesn't it seem that way? There are times when I pray and it's like, oh, God, where are you? Because life just sucks right now. Things are just miserable and the dominoes are falling and they're not falling in my favor. And God can seem so distant. And then Jesus's words, don't let your heart be troubled. You believe in God Believe also in me, and all of a sudden now my mind has a place to go that can picture love demonstrated. That God doesn't just love me and he's some cosmic force out there, but he has demonstrated love for me in an actual way, in a way that I can understand more fully. And throughout this passage that we're reading, this is what Jesus is disclosing. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father has done, I have done. You believe in him, you believe in me. And this is going back and forth so that we have an understanding of what God's love looks like because it has been demonstrated in the person of Jesus Christ. And so that is what's going to help our Hearts not be troubled is believing not only in God, but believing in Jesus also. It gives more clarity, it gives more substance, it gives us a deeper understanding of what God's love looks like because it has been demonstrated clearly in the person of Jesus. Whenever I'm doing dog training, I I try and convey to the people, because I train people, not the dogs. The dogs don't have a problem, it's the people that have the problem. And and so I try to convey to the people, you need to make clear what you want for the dog, not for you. You know, because the dog's sitting there chewing on the furniture, and they're like, Stop it, Fifi! Stop it! Stop it! Hey, hey! No, no, no! And I'm think about that. What does that mean to a dog? La 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 blah, blah, Fifi. blah, la blah, la blah, la blah, la la. You know, that's all it means. They they don't put the dots together, and so there has to be clarity so that the dog says, "Oh, you don't want me to chew on this." Now I get it. And what Jesus is doing is bringing clarity so that we can get it. You believe in God. Believe also in me and then he goes on and he says my father's house has many rooms now why does he say that why does he say there's many rooms and then if it wasn't so i would have told you why does he have to say there's many rooms isn't the way narrow aren't there just a few rooms Isn't there just space for the few? Isn't it just the elect who get to go to heaven? See, he's trying to tell us there's room enough. There's room enough for everyone. Doesn't mean everyone will take that opportunity, but there is room. There are many rooms. It's not, you're not going to go there and there's going to be a no vacancy sign. I almost made it, but there's no room. Now there is plenty of room. And so the picture is one of welcoming. And, and, you know, this is one of our themes over and over again, that God is inclusive and not exclusive. God isn't saying you can't. God is saying you can, come on. And he's encouraging people to make that journey because there's a lot of room. In fact, the wedding feast, you know, he sent out word and he, the parable, and he says, go and send out for my friends to come, and they didn't come. And he's speaking specifically to the nation of Israel. I've invited you, but you didn't receive me. And so then he says, go out in the highways, the byways, invite whoever you can so that they can come. Because I want this to be filled. And so God is inclusive, not exclusive. And there's many rooms. And then I love, he says, if it wasn't true, I would have told you. I wouldn't have told you that there's a lot of room and that I'm going to prepare a place for you if it wasn't true. I'm not just blowing smoke. Yes, one day you'll die and be in a better place. I'm telling you that there is a place and there's room for you. And if it wasn't true, I would have told you. And this is important because Jesus is wanting it to be clear. He has always made things clear. He never sidestepped anything. He never tried to, you know, well, I don't really want to say. He was always very upfront, whether it was with the Pharisees and what he was against, whether it was with the people who he cared about and what he was for. And he's letting us know that there is a lot of room And I'm going to prepare a place for you. And the idea of going to prepare a place for you is unique, especially in that culture, because what would take place is if someone was going to lead the way, and this would be something that they would find in battle, that someone was going to go ahead of you in battle, they would find out if there was an ambush. They would find out if there was a trap. They would find the safest way to get to where you need to be. And so this person would go and prepare that way, he, he was going to go and make sure the way was secure so that you could get to where the destination was. And that's the picture that they have in my mind. I'm going to prepare. In other words, I'm going before you so that you can follow me there. And that's the idea of I have prepared a place. Every step along the way is now secure because I have gone before you and have made it secure. I have prepared a place for you. And so that's the idea is he's gone away because I think prepared, you know, maybe he's, you know, put the pillows on the couch, you know, I don't know what your mind is going to, but the idea is here he has made the path secure so that you can get there. And then an incredible promise in verse three, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. He promises that in the day of his triumph, he's going to welcome his friends, that where I am, there you may be. And this is really the clearest definition of what heaven is, is where Jesus is, the presence of God is, that's where we want to be. That's what we would call heaven. And it's not necessarily in some cloud somewhere, but it's in the presence of God. And he is promising us that he is not just leaving, but that he is actually preparing a way and coming back for us. That God isn't distant, he hasn't abandoned us, Jesus hasn't left the building and isn't coming back. Jesus is coming back for us. He's preparing a way and he will come back to receive us so that where he is, we can be also. Let's stop there and see if anyone has any questions. Are there any questions? Nope. He goes on and he says, you know the way to the place where I'm going in verse four. Now, a disciple would follow the rabbi. Wherever the rabbi went is where the disciple would also go. And so you would have various rabbis in that culture who would go, and wherever they would go, the disciples would follow them. They would stay with them, and if they would journey to another town, the disciples would all go with him. And so when Jesus says, you know, I'm going to be going somewhere, but you know the way, right now we, we have Thomas thinking, did, did I miss the memo? Did he say we're going over here, and I... I I didn't catch it. And and so he speaks up and he says, Lord, we don't, because he's probably asking around, do you guys know where he's going? I didn't hear where he's going. Did you hear? No, I don't know. Shh. Just shake your head yes. No, I don't know where he's going. I want to know where he's going. Hey, we don't know where you're going. I just checked, took a survey. The other 11 or 10 now. We, We don't know what's going on. We don't know where you're going. So how can we know the way If you're going to go somewhere, we need to know where it is so that we can follow you. And you see, Thomas is thinking in a very natural sense, like any disciple would. When the rabbi says, hey, I'm going to go somewhere. Well, I need to know where it is so that we can find, if you're going to Galilee, okay, we'll meet you in Galilee. If you're going somewhere else, we'll follow you there. But we don't know where you're going. Give us a clue. Are you leaving because you're going to be, you know, betrayed? Are you leaving town? Getting out of Dodge? What's going on? Where are you leaving? Some of you don't get the getting out of Dodge metaphor, right? Okay. It's an old Western thing. Okay. So Thomas says, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? How do we know how to get to where you're going? And then Jesus says, one of the most famous verses, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Now, as he says this, the Jews talked much about these three things, the way, what is true, and about life. And as they talked a lot about the way in which a man should go, it's important that we see that this is something that they have always wanted to know. They wanted to know how God would work and how God would lead. They would follow Moses. And even God said to Moses, you shall not turn aside to the right hand or the left. You shall walk in all the ways which the Lord, your God, has commanded you in Deuteronomy chapter 5. And so in the Hebrew mind, the ways of God, we we have to follow him. Can't go to the left, to the right. The way of God was an important theme in the Hebrew mind. And so now Jesus says, you know, the way of God that you're wanting to know, I am am the fulfillment of what that means i am the way all the time that god was talking about follow me in my ways it was a reference to who i am i am the way you can follow me and it is the way that god was trying to declare to you i'll take you there i am the way follow me and i'll get you there The psalmist said, teach me thy way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. The truth of God was another important theme. And it's not just, moral truth can't be conveyed just with words. Truth has to be conveyed by example. To have an understanding of what is actually true, it's not enough to just philosophically dialogue about it. It has to be exemplified. It has to be lived out. How do you live the truth? Because it's easy to say, oh, you should do this, you should do that, but you should live like this. And so now Jesus is saying, I am the truth. A lot of people can say, I taught the truth, but only Jesus can say, I am the truth. My life is the example of what is true. Psalm 16, it says, you did show me the path of life. And in him alone, we see that God, what God is like, and he alone can lead all of us into that presence without fear, without shame. We began John's book with, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. And we talked about how we many times think we're alive, and then God comes along and he says, I've come to give you life. And you think, well, well, I already have life. And he says, no, you're alive or you're existing, but you don't have life. There is more life that I give There is a different life. There is a life that is full that God gives and that we see. And Jesus says, I am that life. And so three powerful examples. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. God shows up in these things. And then he says, no one comes to the father except through me. Anyone have any questions about that? You guys are too simple. I've got question. You've got a question. So let me ask a question. Well, he says there's room for everyone. Let me ask a question. There are uh, people in India who work and make bricks, and they are sold into, basically a type of slavery where these people live and work from daylight till the day goes down seven days a week making bricks and they die at relatively young ages because of the level of work and the toxic toxicity of where they're working most of them do not hear the gospel message of who jesus is they're not around a lot of people there are you can take that scenario and multiply it thousands of times what about those people? When you say, no one comes to the Father but through me. Does that poor young boy at 16, who's never heard Jesus or dies at 19, but never heard of Jesus, is he separated from God for all eternity because he didn't come to God through Jesus? Karin, you raise your hand. <laughs> yeah. And that's an amazing story. Yeah, in that example, Helen Keller, who was her? the lady who spoke to her? Anne what? Anne Sullivan. Anne Sullivan? She started trying to get her to understand. And in her autobiography, she talks about when... She finally understood that someone was communicating her to her. She was also aware of how she treated everybody, and she had a conviction that, oh, my gosh, I've been terrible to these people. And there was that, so you're talking about that open open of understanding to what was right and what was wrong at that time in her life. Now, what about this? What about the people who have heard about Jesus, but have heard about him in a twisted or wrong way? Hey, I wasn't going to make this easy for you guys. I think these are important questions that we hear that I want to address, because what Jesus is saying is true. I believe it, but I believe we need to encompass it in the world that we live in and understand it fully. Alex, are you raising your hand, or are you just stretching Okay. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Let me see if I can get there. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, just at the beginning, verses 1 through 4. Paul writes, "I, I do not want you to be ignorant of the facts, brothers and sisters, that our ancestors were all under the cloud, and they were all passed through the sea. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them, and that rock was Christ. Now, Paul is writing to the Corinthian church, and he's telling them that they need to live their lives fully for God, and then he's talking about their ancestors, and, and as they were journeying through how God provided for them, and then he gives this little verse that says, you know, God refreshed them in the wilderness with the rock, and that rock that they Moses would strike and the water would come out, he says, that rock was Christ. Now, if you were to go back and read that example in Exodus, it doesn't say in Exodus, and this rock really was Christ, but they didn't know it. It just says that rock was Christ. And what it means is that Christ was there, but they didn't know it. That Christ was around and was still working, even though they didn't know who he was. God is everywhere. Everywhere. God is speaking all the time to all people. The magi, the wise men, came from, we don't know exactly where, but were, we know astrologers. They worship the stars. And through their false worship, they found the true God. Because just as the rock was Christ, Christ, or there are rocks everywhere that God is working and revealing himself to. Now, when the clarity of who God is, like what happened to Helen Keller, the revelation of who God is comes to in a person's mind, then the person is responsible for the revelation that they receive. And the revelation is most clearly seen in the person of Jesus Christ as the scriptures give us, as he lived. So if someone gives a false impression of who Jesus is, maybe it's from a cult. And someone says, I can't believe in this Jesus. This Jesus is just after my money. Or this Jesus is twisted in this way. And their concept of Jesus doesn't mean that God can't still speak to them the truth. But when they see the truth, it is going to look like Jesus. And so when you reveal Jesus accurately, a person is confronted with the truth, like what you were saying. So that to the Jews, especially at this time, the Pharisees, Jesus was there. God manifested in the flesh. Here he is. I don't like what he looks like. I don't want to follow that. They were, we saw, to their own power. And so they rejected God because they wanted to hold on to what they had. When Jesus is revealed, we are responsible for the revelation of who he is. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. And no one comes to the Father except through him. And what I take that to mean is even the Magi who were off somewhere, God still, through the revelation of who Jesus is, just like the rock is Christ, Christ was speaking even there. And they saw Jesus, even as a baby, and they worshipped him. Because when they were confronted with the truth, they had to make a choice. I can keep worshipping the stars, or now I can worship God. And we're all confronted with that truth at some point. I can either worship this, or I can believe in this, but when the truth comes before us, we have to answer to it and that truth is Jesus. And whenever you pursue truth, it is Christ. He is the truth. Whenever you connect to life, you are connecting to Jesus. He is the life. Whatever way you find that leads you to life and to truth, that way is Jesus he is the way he is the truth he is the life and whatever you follow that leads you in those ways it is Jesus and when Jesus is before you and you recognize it then you're obligated to make a choice and a decision of what you do with that revelation guys tracking with me is that making sense there are too many times we pack our theology in a suitcase Okay, Jesus is the way, truth, and life. No one gets to God except through him. And then it's all packed in there, and all the things that we just talked about are all in that suitcase. But instead of opening the suitcase and trying to understand it fully, we just hit people over the head with the suitcase, right? Here's the truth. Bam, bam. But I don't get it. What about the person in you know, this place who's never heard? The Jesus is the truth. Bam. We just hit him with the suitcase, and we don't unfold it. We don't open it up and try and iron things out so that, you know, we can get clear understanding. And it's important that we do, because trite phrases, the Bible says, needs to be understood what the Bible means. And so when Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, he means it. But what does that look like for the Magi? What does that look like for those poor boys in India? What does that look like for those who are in, you know, uh, other areas that are, Not accessible with, you know, the gospel in a readily form like we are. Does God not speak to them? Has God forgotten them? No, there's room. There's room. There's a lot of room. And so the way is narrow in that the truth is clear. But God is revealing himself in a lot of ways. Another passage you can look up. We won't get there. Uh, tonight is in Acts 17, where Paul's discourse there in Athens, and he says, God has placed people in set times and in set places so that they might come to know him. It's hard for me to grasp that someone could actually be born in a condition that is so difficult, and that's where God can most likely reveal himself to that person. But that's what the scriptures declare. And so having an understanding of how God works, how God speaks, I think is important. Now, is there any questions? Did I I hope I start, I'll start some questions for you. If you don't have any, I'll give you plenty, okay? I think we need to think these things through. And hopefully as we talk about this, it'll give you a little more clarity on how God reveals himself through Christ and what that means. No other questions? Okay. Let's go back to John. Ah, Bless you. Okay. And so, no one gets to the Father but through me. If you really know me, verse 7, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. You know the Father and have seen him. Philip then says, Lord, show us the Father and that will be enough for us. Now, the Hebrew mind, again, no one can see God and live. And this brings to recollection what happened with Moses back in Exodus 33 when Moses said, I I would see you. And God says, no one can see me and live, but I will put you in the, the shadow of the rock and you can see from behind. You can get a glimpse of me. And Philip is really wanting to know what he believed at that time was impossible. No one can see God, but if you can show us the Father, I would like to see him. Which tells me something about Philip, that he really wanted more. And so he says, if you show us the Father, it's enough. And Jesus' answer is just endearing. He answered, don't you know me, Philip? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. Have I been with you this long and you don't yet know? And once again, Jesus is declaring who he is, that he is indeed God. It's important that we recognize, though, he's not another God. He is the God stamped in human flesh, as Hebrews tells us. He is the image of the invisible God in a human form. He is the character imprint of who God is. He's all God and he's all man in this person. And that's why he can say, don't you know me? I've been with you this long. If you've seen me, you've seen the father. Again, we come back to that understanding. Jesus gives us the clarity of who God is. He gives us the understanding of what God cares about, how God loves, how God thinks, what God looks like as far as his character. It's seen and revealed in the person of Jesus. And so he says, how can you say, show us the father? And then he goes in verse 10, don't you believe that I am in the father and that the father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, It is the father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say I am in the father and the father is in me. Now, this is seeming a little repetitious, but this is really getting deeper. I'm not just in the father, but the father is in me. That's a big deal. It's one thing to be in God. It's another thing for God to be in him. And this is giving more substance, again, to the meaning of what he's trying to do. I am in the Father, and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. In other words, you can see God in me because the things that I have done, the raising people from the dead, that's a good one. I'll give credit to God for that one. Healing a blind man, that's a good one. Walking on water, that's cool. Okay, all these things are evidences. See, I'm not just saying this. And if you want to connect my words, connect them to the things that I've done. Verse 12 Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these, because I am going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name so that my father may be glorified in the son. You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. Let's talk about that. Okay. Whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing and they will do even greater things than these. What is greater than raising someone from the dead? Raising two people from the dead? I mean, really, what... Greater has to do with scope. It's not quantity. And so it's important that we understand what Jesus is referring to. Because the disciples and the apostles there, there there is accounting of a lot of miracles, and I believe God still does miraculous things. But when he says greater, what is he talking about? He He's talking about a scope. What are some greater things that people have done. Leading people to God. Yeah. Jesus never left a, a small area. He stayed basically in the area where the Jews dwelt. He didn't go into Rome. He didn't see the depravity of, that was there in Rome or some of the other uh, Gentile cities. I'm sure he knew about them, but he didn't go into them. And so I I think you're on the right track. You see, Jesus' scope was there to the children of Israel. The greater work is you are going to take this message of God to more people than I did. A greater work by bringing the truth to more people throughout the world. It would seem that that would be a clearer explanation because if we just think of the miraculous things, again we start. How do you compare? What's greater, healing a lame person or a blind person? You know what I mean? Oh, it depends if you're lame or blind. You know, <laughs> I'm blind, so healing blind persons better. You know, if it's feeding five thousand, is that greater? No, you feed six thousand. Is that what he's talking about? Let's see again, greater has to do with this idea of being of more importance. And so I think the greater work is taking the truth of God, the gospel to the world. I believe that that's what he's referring to there. And it's not to take away from God doing the miraculous. We're not saying God can't still do miraculous healings and those things, but there is an understanding of what Jesus is talking about here because All healing is temporary, right? I mean, if you were healed from cancer, it's temporary. You still are going to succumb to death at this point. And so the greater work is that you can enter into life and never die. That's the greater work. And I believe that's what Jesus is referring to there. But then he goes on and he says, because I'm going to the Father, and I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son, you may ask me anything in my name, and I will do it. Anything, we can ask anything, right? Is that what he says? Anything what? In His name, what does that mean in my name? What do you think? His will? Like he would? When you take on a person's name, you are taking on the responsibility for what that person represents. If you took on a family name in business, then you are representing what that family does and that business does. And so when we take on the name Jesus, we are doing this in the character and the person of Jesus. So, for example, you wouldn't be praying vengeance on people because that is not the character of Jesus. I pray God smites you and breaks both your legs. In Jesus' name, right? It doesn't fit, right? At least I hope he thinks that. It's like, huh? You know, because in the name of Jesus has to do with his identity. It's his character. And so you can ask anything that is in line with who I am, and so his will, then I will do it. So it's not a cart blank. Here's the credit card. Go buy whatever you want in Jesus' name. Boom. Ferrari, in Jesus' name. Boom. (laughs) lamborghini in jesus name boom and so it has to do with the character that we can ask anything and if we're asking it with the heart and character of christ then god is going to do it now this is leading us somewhere very exciting Because this is leading us to the place where now we are identified as his children. That as God heard Jesus, that God will hear us. That as God is working in Jesus, God wants to work in us. That we have the opportunity to be the voice of Christ in this world. Now let me ask you this your prayers, your conversation, is it in the character in the name of Jesus? Are you representing that name? Are you representing that character? Because it's important that we recognize these things because that's how this takes place. He, he goes on in verse 15. We've got to cover this because it's connected. If you love me, keep my commands. And I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate. The advocate also means comforter or the one who comes alongside to help you and to be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he lives with you and will, will be in you. And so, if you love me, it will show. Love is not just an emotion. Obedience is how Jesus showed that he loved God. Obedience is how we show we love God. Obedience and living in that, and we think of obedience as you know a force, a, you have to do this. But obedience is a choice that is made. You see, you're obedient because you want to be, but it shows up. If you love your husband or wife, there is obedience to the relationship. It's not like the husband says, you have to love me and you can't go out with anyone else. You have to do it, be obedient. No, obedience is taken with the love. Because I love you, I am going to be obedient to the relationship and what we have agreed on. Uh, If you love me, you will do this. Well, love should encompass those things. And it shows up in the actions that we do. It's not just an emotion. I don't feel like I love God today. Well, are you living like you love God? Well, I don't feel like I love you tonight, honey. I don't really care what you feel like. You better love me. You know what I'm saying? You're still my... Wife, so it's not a matter of how you feel it's a matter of the choice you make love isn't an emotion that you feel love is a commitment to a choice that's what obedience is and so asking anything in the Father's name I'll give it to you if you love me you'll be living proof of what I am and what I've done you'll be doing these things because that's what it's like if you love me. And then he goes on and he says, the spirit of truth, the world cannot ask anything in the father verse 16, and he will give you another advocate to help you to be with you forever. The spirit of truth, the world cannot accept him because it neither sees him or knows him. Those who who live as if there is no God will have a hard time seeing God it's very similar to someone who knows all about music and you go and you hear a a band play or you see a musician and you're familiar with that if you see you know if you're a guitar player and you see an amazing guitar player you're going to have more appreciation for that guitar player because you know how hard it is to do what it is he's doing you'll look at them and you'll say I thought I played guitar but if that's playing guitar, I don't play guitar. That's incredible. And you'll have an understanding because you know what music is. If you know who God is, you'll have an understanding of the work of God because you know who God is. Those who don't believe there's a God, who live outside of, no, there is no God, they will fail to see God working because they are close to those things. That's why some people say God is nowhere. I don't see God anywhere. And there's other people who say, I see God everywhere. Right? I mean, you, you'll you see something miraculous in creation, a sunset, ocean, you know, landscape, and you'll just be in awe of the majesty of God. And there are other people who say, yeah, it's beautiful, but I don't see God. And you're like, how can you not see it? Well, because they don't know him. doesn't mean he's not there. It's just they're not able to see it. And so as Jesus says, The spirit of truth, the world can't accept him because it doesn't see him or know him. It's invisible to them. It's like hearing, you know, Chinese music to me. I don't get it. I've listened to it and it's like, "Mm, you know, that just. Why? Because I don't listen to Chinese music. Uh, (laughs) But if I was Chinese, I would say, oh, that's beautiful. You know, I really get that. I'm moved by that. You're like, what? Why? Because they're connected to it. Same thing with God. If you're not connected to him, you won't see him. You won't know him. You won't understand. And so Jesus is revealing those things to him. But you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. Let's see where we can, we got to end here soon. He says, I will not leave you, verse 18, as orphans. I will come to you. And he's speaking here specifically of the resurrection. And again, Jesus is really trying to bring comfort, not only to them. These words are to bring comfort to us. God is with us. He has not abandoned us, that he's made the way for us, that he's preparing a place for us, that we can know the way, that we can know the truth, that we can know life, that if we see Jesus, we see the Father, that he has given us a promise that whatever we ask in his name and that character, he will answer us, that he is going to not leave us or abandon us as orphans, but he's going to come to you. I'm going to reveal myself to you. Verse 19 says, Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me because I live. You also will live. On that day, you will realize that I am in the Father and you are in me and I am in you. Again, it's getting very personal. Not only am I in God and God is in me, but now you are going to be in me. And I am going to be in you. And so there's this passing down of what God is doing is going to be done through his people, those who come to know him as revealed in Jesus. Verse 21, whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. Again, you can't separate the commands. Don't say you love God and then just not care about what he says. The one who loves me will be loved by my father. I too will love them. And will show myself to them. We're going to stop there. I mean, it's kind of no good place to stop, but just for time's sake, we need to stop. And so, he kind of, in this portion, is closing with, You'll be loved by God, and I too will love them and will show myself to them. What a beautiful promise. God will show himself to us if we love him. That's amazing. How many want to see God? I want to, I want to be, Lord, show us the Father. I will show myself to you. Love me, and you will see me. Love me by how you live. It's amazing when you start doing and living how things fall into place, how we we try and think because of our academic mind frame. We think that if we know about things, it's the same as living them. Well, I can know all about the truth of God, but it's not the same as actually doing it. There are consequences that affect life around us when you actually start doing things and not just saying things. Corinne and I were talking, or she was talking, and I was listening, and she said, you know, just because since I've been back from Haiti and I was gone to Mexico and then she was gone to Texas and then I was gone to Haiti and now I'm back. But she says, you know, hasn't been really like you're back. And I was like, I'm back. See, here I am watching TV. <laughs> and what she was telling me is there needs to be some change in the actions so that you're really back and it's amazing because if i actually show up and start acting like i'm really back it will affect her so that she won't have to say you're not really back you know what i'm saying divulging my secrets here my shortcomings and and so it's important that we understand that when we actually start doing things and living things, that it affects the world around us. It affects the people around us. It it affects us. And if I don't do the things that help her to connect to me, then I am going to feel distant from her. And even though I could say, well, we're close. I love you. I know I love you. But if I don't do those things, I remain distant and it affects the relationship and it affects the relationship with people and it affects our relationship with God. So that if you don't spend time and pray, if you don't take time to learn about the Lord, maybe through this study or time where we come to church, if you don't make time to follow after him, then he is going to seem distant. But if you love him by the things you do, then he shows himself to you. And they're connected. And so it's important that we realize these things. You want God to be working in your life? Love him by the things you do. And when you do that, he will show himself to you. Any thoughts or questions? Did I do okay? I didn't... I'm not in trouble, am I? Any thoughts or comments on these verses? Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely something that's got to be connected with love. You know, I think one of the problems that we've had with James and, you know, faith without works is dead... And can that faith save you? When we think of save, we think of salvation from hell. And and what James is talking about in his illustration is can it have an effect on the people around you? Because he said if you see your brother who's in need and you have the means to help him out but you don't, what good is it? Same thing with your faith. If your faith doesn't show up, then what good is it? So it's not saying it's not there. It's just saying it's not good. It's not having an effect. So it's not taking away the fact of we're doing it because we love. It's just showing that it has to show up. And when it does show up, now it has an effect. And that's kind of what Jesus is talking about here. If you love me, you'll do these things. And if you do these things, I will reveal myself to you and show up. Does that make sense? Cool. Yes, Eileen. Yeah, you know, when people say, you know, well, how can there be so much cruelty? Why would God allow it? I I usually ask, why do we allow it? You know, because we need to take responsibility because it's not God's fault that people are treating these people that way, first off. And then, you know, God reveals himself in different ways to different people. God revealed himself to Abraham. You know, when he was just Abram and he lived in a land full of idolatry and Abraham heard God's voice and responded. God still can speak to the young boy in India, even though he's in this position. It doesn't mean that he can't have a revelation of God. To what extent? I don't know. You know, I don't know anyone who can know. But to just blatantly say it's this or that and not take those things into consideration, I think is negligent on our part. You know, and it, I don't think that I think the scriptures are inclusive for those kinds of areas in the, the things that we mentioned. You know, how God revealed himself to Abraham, how God puts people in different places so that they come to know him, how God revealed himself to the Magi. You know, God is doing things, but we have a responsibility to take the truth to the people who we can and to introduce them. And that's why you hear. So many times a missionary will go to a foreign land and say, we want to tell you about this God, and this is what he's done, and this is it. And they say, oh, that's who he is. You know, it's like we didn't know his name, but we knew he was there. We knew there was someone who created all this, but we didn't understand who he was, and now you've told us. Alex? And that's what we need to understand. I mean, it's even like Paul talked about Apollos. Someone needed to come alongside of him. Uh, You know, Priscilla and Aquila, and make it more clear to him. Because he knew a little bit, but he didn't quite grasp all that was there until they came along and helped him understand that. And so, whether it's the people who are in, you know, Burma or the people who are in, you know, India, wherever, it's an obligation we have, if we care, to go and to try and make this clear to them. But God is already there, He is already speaking. And if we understand that, then it makes it a little easier for us to connect with them, I think, a lot of times. Because then we can find out what's going on. Yes, R.G. I mean, children have a real easy time connecting to God. You know, I remember my mom telling me when we, I was younger, I was watching some TV show. And I don't remember it. But she said that I told her, I think it's good to believe in God. You know, I was just a kid. And And like, why did I have an opinion about that? You know, just because it made sense to a child and that innocence. There was something there. Why? Because God was all, I mean, we've been created in his image. His voice is pinging all over. Ping. This is me, ping, this is me. And people are hearing it, you know, no matter where they're at. And then when it shows up in its fullness, the gospel message, then it's like, yes, that's it. It rings true and then it also rings false when things start showing up that aren't in line with the gospel message you know those things can show up as well did that answer it i don't or you're still yeah but again uh, and i agree with that i mean but god can speak even through those things there are there are i think cs lewis said that in every false religion there is the you know spark of the truth but then it was taken to you know yeah and so there was something there and those are the things that can ring true like the magi who were astrologers worshiping the stars but somehow it led them to the birth of christ you know how did that happen well it's not hard for god you know and so we see hinduism as oh no it's so twisted and yeah it is but god says oh, i can still speak I can still speak there i 'm not limited i 'll speak to that person even though they 're hearing all this garbage and all these confusing things, whether it 's a different religion or it 's twisted Christian belief. I can still speak, and I think he does you know, and God doesn 't judge us without being aware of our circumstances, you know as we are going through the scriptures and especially don't let your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. And we see how Jesus treated people. and We see the gospel and how it reached people. And we have an understanding throughout all of scripture that he is not willing that any perish, but all come to the knowledge. And if this is the heart of God and the mind of God, then he is not going to judge us without an awareness of our situation. You know, Gabe works with these boys, you know, in the foster home who have just been abused and have some serious issues. I mean, it just makes you want to cry when you think about those things. And God is not going to deal with those boys as if they did not have to suffer or they did not suffer those things. God isn't going to just say, well, sorry, you know, I'm just grading like this. God cares and he knows and he will deal with those things accordingly because he's love. And, you know, there is a part where we do have to trust. I don't know how he does it. I don't know where he draws the line. That's why I don't make that judgment. It's, you know, not my pay grade. Any other thoughts? Okay, (laughs) let's pray. Jesus, these are some powerful things that you've said and they are provoking just so many thoughts within us. And in the middle of these defining statements that you are the way, you are the truth, you are the life, there is this umbrella of don't let your heart be troubled. You believe in God Believe also in me. There is this understanding that we believe in the one who loves us so completely, so sacrificially and Lord, as you love us, we respond and love you because you first loved us and Lord help us to understand how we can Live this love, how we can live in your name, how we can pray in your name, how we can allow you to be in us as we are in you, how we can give of ourselves, Lord, in a way that allows you to work through us. You have not abandoned us, you have not left us orphans. There is room for us, for our friends, for our family. There is room. May we let them know there's room. That you love them. May we be an example of that love. And I do thank you for your words that challenge us. May we continue to to think about them. May it provoke more thoughts. And, And may we pursue those thoughts. May we unpack that suitcase. And may we See what it is that you have said and what it is we really believe as we say that you are the way, the truth, and the life. As we understand, no one comes to God except through you. Lord, help us to unpack that and help us to share that with the world around us. We do ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.